This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops feeding on leaves, flowers and fruit. The South Island kōkako, with its distinctive orange wattles at the base of the bill, hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattled bird of the North Island may find itself in unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. We're having Community or Chaos again, hopefully more community and less chaos. Though I'm not sure that's the way of the world. Today we have Matt Robinson, former Minister of Disarmament and Arms Control and Associate Foreign Minister, as a member of the Labor Alliance government in the 1990s, I believe. What was the year, was it, Matt? Uh, 1999 we began. To, I was a minister till 2002. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Matt, how are you? Been I'm good. Time. I'm I'm good. Uh, so good to be here with you. So, what was your reaction to um, the um, invasion of of um, Ukraine? And first, tell me about um, our non-nuclear policy, what it means, and also talk about our concept of an independent foreign policy. That's probably the best place to start. Well, the non-nuclear stance of New Zealand is well known to everybody in New Zealand because it's so popular. Uh, The legislation which provided that New Zealand would not have any nuclear weapons stationed here, which was passed in 1987, also stated that we wouldn't take part in nuclear-armed operations or nuclear-armed military uh, organizations such as NATO. So it's a very well-established and it's bipartisan, really, initially opposed by national, but uh, then uh, accepted. So the Ukraine war uh, doesn't just involve Russia and the Ukraine. It clearly is a war which is actually in the final analysis between Russia, the United States, and the NATO countries that are allied with the United States. And that NATO and the United States are, of course, nuclear-armed, and so is Russia. So our position uh, as a non-nuclear-armed country, and very strongly so, um, is challenged by this situation because New Zealand, as a government, the government of New Zealand, uh, has lined us up with a nuclear-armed uh, treaty pact, NATO, um, and has, since 2001, uh, the documents go back, been integrating us into NATO. 
So our nuclear armed, our nuclear uh, free status, um, I've suggested in articles I've written, public comments I've made, and from my knowledge as a former minister for disarmament arms control, is, well, under threat is the minimum, I could say. It's almost been junked. Okay. What would you um, suggest we do? I mean, Russia's fears and encirclement by the West may have been increased by Western actions, but nothing that's happened in Eastern Europe really justified the full-scale invasion of one country by another, especially when you consider the inequivalencies in size. Okay, well, first of all, anybody looking at the situation in the Ukraine uh, who's got half a brain will see that it's a very complex uh, situation. That's the first thing. The second is any study I've ever done of wars um, at any level, university or otherwise, has always been called the origins of those wars. And what strikes me about the commentary that uh, exists in New Zealand, uh, in the corporate media, in the state media, and actually the majority of the media that we receive uh, from uh, Western Europe, Western countries, particularly the United States and Great Britain, is that it lacks context in regard to what's happening in the Ukraine. What are the origins? So the origins of this war did not begin when Russian troops crossed out of Russia through the Donbass into the Ukraine on the 23rd or the 24th of February, depending on where you sit in the world. It began well before that. It, you can take your starting point. Uh, would be helpful, hopeful if our government did that, of uh, the events of 2014 in the Ukraine when the elected government was overthrown. And the president, who was seen as pro-Russian by the United States, uh, was forced out of office. And in that situation that occurred, uh, a very big part was played by the fascist groups in Ukraine, particularly the Azov Battalion, which is now well known, uh, but other right-wing groups as well. And then after that, there were two accords between the Minsk, they call the Minsk Agreements of uh, 2014 and 2015, which gave an autonomous state status to the uh, two uh, majority Russian-speaking areas of the Ukraine. Actually, 30% of the population identifies as Russian speakers. And they, were seen, they said themselves as threatened, and armed conflict began between them, uh, the fascist groups, and the Ukrainian army. The Minsk agreements were international agreements signed by uh, France and Germany as guarantors and Russia and the Ukraine government to give autonomy uh, to the Dom Donbask, uh, two, two provinces there. Now, that hasn't been highlighted. The ink was not even dry when these were violated, these agreements, by the Ukrainian government at the time, before President Zelensky, with the encouragement, financing, arming, training of troops by the United States and its NATO allies, particularly Canada and the United Kingdom. A full-scale civil war began. So that's why I'm saying whatever position people take on the Russian intervention, or whatever they want to call it, a special operation, a war, has to take that into account. 
And what else is not taken into account is that prior to the Russian intervention, intervention, uh, the constant war by the Ukrainian armed forces, particularly through shelling, artillery shelling, uh, on the Donbass republics, was multiplied 100%. And that war against those republics had begun a long time before the Russian intervention. That's why an, a full analysis has to be done by our politicians. It has not been. And all we have had is a false narrative that the Russian aggression, was called, was unprovoked. Well, it can be called aggression if you want, but to call it unprovoked, particularly if you add the fact that NATO has expanded from, I think, 11 countries prior to the dissolution of the Soviet Union to well over 20. I've forgotten the number now. <laughs> it's up to close to 23, 24 countries plonked on the border of Russia. So that's at least the preliminary knowledge that should be discussed and facts and has not been on any of the prime New Zealand media or by the government. Well, what happens now? I mean, nobody could really say the Russian and Ukraine had the equivalent military might. Well, no. Yeah, um, nobody could really say that um, Ukraine itself threatened Russia as a body. Well, it's, it's true. The Ukraine taken by itself, of course, does not equal the military strength of uh, the Russian Federation. However, if the Russian Federation used its full military strength, there would be no Ukraine at the moment. They haven't invaded the whole country. Now, whether or not uh, that leads it up to a war, it gives some credence to the term special operation which the Russians have used. They've got, they've got particular aims, and it's not taking over the whole of the Ukraine. They have the military might. They have particularly a uh, control of the skies. They have a much bigger military. They could attack the whole of the, uh, the Ukraine. They've, they've concentrated on the eastern part, and particularly that corridor from the Black Sea uh, through to the Russian border across the Don Donbass republics. And that type of military operation is important because I might remind uh, our own, I have reminded the New Zealand government that the intervention in Afghanistan, the controversial intervention, was called a special operation as well. A goose for the source for the goose and the gander is appropriate here. So it's not a matter of just the Russian uh, force and the unequal because Ukraine is not carrying this out by itself. For many years now, I've mentioned back to the 2014 overthrow, the massive inflow of weapons has occurred from the West to the Ukraine. It's not a normal, it's not the New Zealand army, plus training and financing. And that has been carried out in particular, the training by the United States, the United Kingdom, but they're heavily armed. But of course, they have a problem, and that is that the Russians have been able to knock out most of their supply routes. They can't just give all this heavy equipment and uh, military arsenal to an armed force without uh, massive training and backup and, and repair, etc., etc. So in that sense, it's unequal. But in the sense that, the United, that Russia knows that the bigger enemy it faces is NATO, the sanctions, and... They've looked at what happened in Yugoslavia in um, the 1990s and its dismemberment. And they've looked at the strategic plans of the United States. 
which are open for everybody to read, including our government. They don't seem to have read them, that their object is to have a very weak Russia, a Russia that was they had under Yeltsin, but don't have under Putin. And it's not that the Russian government, whether it was a left-wing centre or right-wing government, uh, is the enemy in terms of social systems. It's because it's taken an independent stance in terms of the resources that it controls. And it has been, at least in some of our media, analysed, but not to any intelligent uh, extent, that the, the enemy that has been targeted by the United States and NATO, and of course the United States is the dominant force in NATO, is China. So we have the, the situation New Zealand's facing, it's lined itself up with Western countries, with NATO, nuclear-armed NATO. A number of us call it the, uh, not NATO, but the nuclear-armed ter- terrorist organization, uh, with a clear strategy of weakening and even war with Russia and with China. So it's a very dangerous situation, both for New Zealand and the world. Okay. You described the forces opposing Russia as fascist. Isn't that a wrong leap? I mean, they they had a democratic election. In the The, Ukraine? Yeah. Well, they had a recent democratic election. The person who became president is Jewish. Hasn't shown fascist tendencies as far as I can tell. Well, that's why the, the situation needs analysis, and we're not getting it on our media. Uh, Zelensky campaigned in 2017 as a peace candidate, peace for all Ukrainians, both the Russian speakers, they've got other minorities, of course, and others, and respect for the autonomous state status of the Donbass republics within Ukraine, but autonomous. He campaigned on that. Very soon afterwards, uh, he backed off this and uh, was supporting the uh, 130,000 Ukrainian troops and militia and the integration of the the openly fascist Azov Battalion into the militia. And not only the Azov Battalion, but others. And the fact that he is Jewish, yes, that's true. But fascism fascism is not just anti-Semitic. The fascism in the Ukraine. Fascism in the Ukraine is also anti-Russian, anti-gay, anti-non-white. It's a white supremacist organization. And Zelensky uh, has capitulated to uh, to that. So a democratic election hasn't stopped a civil war and the betrayal of that president. Another thing about President Zelensky a large number of the opposition, those who are targeted and said they're pro-Russian or they're this or they're that, have been shut down, a number in prison. So have the, um, the dissident and opposition voices on the to Zelensky uh, media have been shut down. So, you know, democracy is more than one election. It's the practices that go on inside a, a country. Well, Zelensky's also offered at this point, I don't know what, he said earlier, but at this point, to in a peace treaty, to be for Ukraine to be neutral, if as long as its autonomy and was guaranteed by more than just Russia. Well, <laughs> Zelensky is also calling for more and more arms to fuel the concert. There have well, been peace talks. If you were being attacked by Russia, wouldn't you call for more arms? That's not exactly illogical. 
Well, you can't have, if, you, if you're calling for, we're going to have an all-out war. We want more. We want fighter planes. We want this and we want that. Um, it's not exactly going into negotiations with good faith. I don't say that they lay down their arms when they go into a peace, peace negotiations. But the uh, peace negotiations have not been sabotaged, as far as I can see, what I can read, from the, from, from the Russian side. They've been willing to accept but they, they um, you know, they're not going to do it if there's not a serious step forward to denazification. And by the way, that is, that is a serious problem. Uh, it is not, it's not a, a figment that there is a very strong Nazi influence. The, the 2% vote for Nazis, which is often quoted, is ridiculous because uh, if you're well-armed, organized, and intimidated, you don't care about the actual votes. You care about what strength you've got. And there's been a climate of repression, fear, assassination by these Nazi groups for a very, very long time. And their arming and their financing and the excuses for them from the Western uh, powers, from the NATO and the United States, has been obvious for all to see. The Russians have called it out. That's all that's happened. It's not a matter of supporting the party of uh, President Putin and United Russia Party. You're looking at what is the aim and that is to weaken, crush, crush Russia. And they've said, no, we're not going to have that happen to We're not going to have what happened to Yugoslavia happen to Russia. And you asked before about what New Zealand should do. We shouldn't be, if we're going to be loyal and true to the non-nuclear position, we shouldn't be in, the, in NATO. We should be pulling out of it right now. And we should be taking an independent uh, position on all of these uh, status. We're going back to the period of just automatic knee-jerk uh, support for the United States and its foreign policy. What um, stance would you like to see New Zealand take? Well, as I, I'll, I'll reiterate, pull out of NATO. Don't be part of it. You, you're, you're signing up. We've already signed up to a war. New Zealand, we haven't realized it at the moment, the government has placed us at war with Russia. They've placed us at war. If you send intelligence and their role is to target both Russian soldiers and those Ukrainian forces which are in the civil war uh, against the, um, the Kiev regime, uh, and uh, you send $13 million to the British to buy arms, a drop in the bucket, but it means we sign up to it, uh, you're part of a war. It is a war going on. That's what it is. It's not a matter of the Ukraine and Russia. Wars. If you're arming, financing, using your NATO forces on Poland and Romania and other countries as a staging base uh, to send weapons and and, and training and, and and supplies, you're 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 a belligerent in the con conflict. And New Zealand has joined that. So when was there being a full discussion that we would be part of a war against Russia? There has not been any. And all of the complex aspects, the historical aspects, the political aspects. We just had one narrative, and that has been a distorted. And the media, the, in the, the, the corporate uh, media in the West and the state media have just been just as bad, are just reading out uh, propaganda from the Pentagon, it seems to me. And so much of it is distorted. Uh, and I'll just refer you to what happened in Yugoslavia. It's exactly the same topic, propaganda. We, just, we don't do any critical analysis. And I say we, I mean the media and the government here uh, of that. So New Zealand should not be part of this rush to war, and it should join. Actually, it's told the, the world it's against Russia. No, no, it's not true. 
It's only Western Europe and some of the Western European governments and the United States and Canada and some of their Eastern Asian allies that have joined in. Five-sixths of the world will not join the sanctions against Russia. That tells you something. Even if they're opposed to the Russian steps of, of sending in armed forces, as some of them have, and haven't accepted that the Russians are entitled under Article 51 of the UN Charter for self-defense. That's an arguable point, but that's... But they've said, we understand the greater strategy, which is to weaken Russia, return it to its Yeltsin status, and finally to destroy the power of China, the growing economic power of China. So New Zealand doesn't have to buy into that. And if it wants to be influential, it could join with the other five, six of the world, calling for an end to the conflict, end to the fueling of it, and a genuine peace treaty. Then we might be listened to, not on our own, but in uh, in concert with a whole range of the other countries. The BRIC, the BRIC countries take out Russia, of course, as one of the participants, but the BRIC countries for a start would be a start for New Zealand to talk to them and join a joint diplomatic uh, effort for a negotiated peace. All right, I'll have some, some music now and I'll be right back.
White statues towering grave Above the last defeat Old words and lies repeat Across a new-made grave And why the same stillbirth That victory always brought These hours of glory bought By men with mouths of earth Dead ash without a spark Where cities used to be We're talking with Matt Robson, the former uh, associate uh, foreign minister uh, in 2022, and he was also a minister of arms control and associate foreign minister, and he's now a current member of the Labour Party, a critic of uh, New Zealand and NATO's approach to uh, the Ukrainian war. And Matt, um, the... It seems to me that the, the biggest victim of these is, are the Ukrainian people. The war is being fought on their land. Even if they were to expel Russia from all their borders, at least all their borders that they, that they had in 2014, there was still a lot there's still a major part of their eastern Ukraine is a wasteland. Their capital was attacked. And um, so this war, whether it's between NATO and Russia or Ukraine and Russia or some aspects of Ukraine and Russia, is still the 
Ukraine is the battleground. Ukraine is where the suffering is. You do not agree. Of course they're suffering. It's a war. But I just go back to the point that's been going on for eight years. There seemed to be little concern. There were 14,000 Ukrainians uh, killed in that time. Also, what hasn't uh, been brought to anybody's attention is that the refugees, that are quite a number of them are in Russia, have left the Ukraine and Russia well before the actual conflict and continuing. And the Donetsk, Donbass, uh, two, two provinces were constantly shelled one of, and, 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 and destroyed. And the images that we've seen of, of uh, buildings and infrastructure in uh, Ukraine uh, was replicated well before uh, the Russian intervention in the Ukraine. And no one, at least on our side of the world, in the Western world, which New Zealand uh, is the honorary guest for, in, uh, seem to care uh, less. So, yes, it needs to stop. It would be good if it stopped. But the Russians were asking for this to stop and the Minsk agreements to be implemented. And I just also go to this question of, of fascists. Today is the victory day in Russia. They're, they're celebrating the end of the the Second World War, which they know is the Great Patriotic War. They lost 27 million people in that, and they lost them to Nazism. They seriously are concerned about the rise of Nazism. We in New Zealand and in Western Europe, it's a big question. It was a big question in the French elections with Le Pen, the role of the Nazis, the role of the growth in Germany itself, the growth throughout um, the East, former Eastern European countries, the, the viciousness towards refugees, the white supremacism. Uh, that, uh, so it's a, it's a big question. Uh, I wonder uh, about your classification as, is Le Pen a Nazi? Uh, Le Pen's right wing. Trump was right wing and racist. But were they Nazis? Or are they Nazis? Well, yeah, look, uh, on a program like this, it, it does need a lot of... I, I realise that, that these are terms which have a lot of depth to them in terms of analysis. But many of these groups and the ones that are well-organised um, do. Uh, they celebrate what the Nazis were. They celebrate fascism. But fascism is an elastic concept as well. It's, uh, it's a mass movement, usually, of, of disinherited people and classes within countries. But it's not just... Anti-Semitic, that's one most horrible and distorted form of it, of course, and, and the worst example is the well, Holocaust. Our, but, but it exists. Under Perone. What, what well, I'm saying is that Russia uh, has a fear mm -hmm. of this and has seen it at work in the Ukraine, combined with the attacks on the Russian-speaking population and the civil war. There's just a not an acceptance that what's been going on is a civil war. And it's not going to end uh, without getting to the causes of it and those who are promoting the civil war. And part of that promotion, yes, the suffering of the Ukrainian people has been set in place by the extension of NATO and NATO's plans, which are aimed at Russia. And all the Russian government has said, we're not going to sit back. And you've <laughs> tried to work this out. We bought many proposals for it, and they have. From the time of the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact through to the present time, I suppose it's been ignored. So one of the reasons for not accepting um, Putin is because people was are suspicious of him in his own the way he's governed in his own country. 
He's been president for a long time. Um, he's changed the constitution to allow himself to be president for a long time. He hasn't really accepted opposition well in his own country. Some people would call him an authoritarian or maybe even fascistic, not certainly a Nazi, but some people would could stretch fascism to, to cover um, Putin. Well, Putin has not set out with a strategy to overturn governments in Western Europe or any other country. And we're using the term before, dedicated ideological Nazis and fascists exist in the Ukraine. Putin's and his party, he has a party. I mean, I think it's sort of uh, part of what we get used to. You pick one leader and say that's the worst leader that's ever been, whether it was Saddam Hussein or Kim Il-jung from North Korea and so forth, uh, uh, the Syrian leader, and, and so it goes on. But what we're looking at in terms of Russia is there can be a criticism, of, obviously, of, of the role of, of Vladimir Putin and the United Future Party. That is not what concerns NATO and the United States. They're not driven by whether they, a, a country has a democratic and undemocratic leader. That is just nonsense. It's just what New Zealand leaders should call out and say, this is just nonsense. Otherwise, there would have been a war against Saudi Arabia a long time ago and many of the, many of the dictatorships that are accepted around the world um, and, 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 and repressive, repressive regimes. We know this attack, on, this attack on Russia is independent of what leader they've got. This, this attack on Russia is a plan that goes back to Kennan, 1948, the, Ameri- the United States strategist, who said the United States has 6% of the world's population and 60% of the world's resources. I'm going to keep it that way. That's been followed through with every strategist who writes for the United States, President, President and so forth. And that's Kennan what the Russians are Irrespective of. actually opposed. Kennan actually opposed. Kennan opposed this as not sensible. I'm just saying that he, he laid down. He laid down in 1948. He laid down in 1948 what the United States must do. Sure. He doesn't agree that this is. <laughs> I know. I've, I've seen the Kennan. So he, he doesn't agree that done the right thing. But what I'm saying is that every strategist since then, right through to the present strategies followed by the United States, have been we will remain the hegemonic power in the world. And that's what's at the basis of this. Well, that's what empires do. That's what Russia did. Soviet Union did. That's what Great Britain did. That's what the United States has done. Soviet, the Soviet <laughs> Union did not set out with an hegemony of the world to control its resources. That was the myth of the Cold War. That was the myth of NATO. The aggressive powers have been the Western powers. Uh, Stalin was a conservative bureaucrat. He did everything he could to mollify uh, Western powers. They know that. They knew it was a lie that was being put out that NATO was set up to protect Europe against Russian aggression. Uh, saying is basically great powers act this way. No, uh, uh, well, I can do, of course. But in this case, just with the concrete uh, facts on this age, Russia has not set out, to, or nor has China. They haven't got 800 bases around the world like the United States. The hegemonic power, the one that sets out to control the world's resources, is the United States as the leader of the pack. Uh, Russia doesn't have up to a 1,000 bases, military bases outside its own territory, nor does China. 
And um, but if they do ever get to that stage, well, this process will have helped us, I would think. Under the present uh, war in Ukraine, countries that were not part of NATO, like Sweden and Finland, who remained outside of NATO, are now wanting to join. Hmm. Well, Sweden, for a very long time, has not been the social democratic internationalist party that we thought of, <laughs> that used to boast of. It's for a very long time moved into the Western camp. And you can even see that with the persecution of Julian Assange. They rushed to set him up to deliver him to the United States. They took part in the rendition. Uh, for a very, very long time, they've been in the Western camp. Their, their neutralism is just a, a farce. Uh, as for Finland, well, I don't know too much about the internal politics. But in respect of what Russia's done, NATO was expanding anyway. So if Finland joins, it's no worse than probably Latvia, Estonia, and every other country that the United States has tried to ring Russia with uh, uh, for its own. They may have joined because they fear Russia. And Finland had plenty of reason to fear Russia historically, just as Russia fears uh, um, some country outside countries controlling the Ukrainian plains. Well, there's no evidence that Russia's ever going to attack any of these countries. I, I think it's internal politics. Whether, whether Finland joins, I don't know what the politics are that allow that to happen. But well, I, think, I think throughout... Because I, they had to fight for their own independence. Well, the, the, well I don't think they, they do fear their independence of Russia. There's been never any suggestion that Russia's going to invade Finland. Um, even if it wanted to, I don't think it would be that silly to take on so many countries at once in a war. Uh, NATO's been expanding anyway. They've got New Zealand in there. Is New Zealand threatened by Russia? No. I mean, we are not, we're a cooperating non-member. But we're a long way. Australia's deeply involved with NATO and all its plans. So, you know, countries join for other... Colombia is a non-cooperating member. And why is Colombia a member? Because it's next to Venezuela. What is it being offered? Money, finance, training, weapons to be part of NATO. So the expansion is NATO, not Russia. I mean, the leadership of NATO. So what do you think we should be doing? Well, I said it before. Um, we need to go back to an independent foreign policy. As a, as a minister uh, on this, I had the authority of our cabinet to go to the world and say we'll not be part of any nuclear armed bloc. We will take our own independent foreign policy. We haven't done this. We've joined in the foreign policy of the United States and the United Kingdom as the two leading countries of, of NATO. And we've joined up with that, not just there in, in Western Europe and in the Ukraine, but in regard to uh, China. L listen, read the discourse from NATO. They've said it's not just the Ukraine. It's China and the pivot, so-called pivot to Asia and now the Indo-Pacific strategy. And uh, Australia's beating the war drums against China. They're even doing it over the Solomon Islands, which has exercised its sovereign right uh, to have a security agreement with the Chinese. We have exercised our sovereign right to do all sorts of things. But uh, the Solomon Islands has never said to us, you can't do it. I, I make this point because the militarization is not just in the Ukraine. The issue is not just the Ukraine. It's a worldwide uh, Cold War that has been begun that's heading for a hot war. And that's why New Zealand should have a completely different position from the, the NATO powers and state their opposition to their strategy. 
and be willing to work with all those other countries, the five, five, six of the world that won't join the war drive that's being led by the United States. And you're quite right. The people of the Ukraine are suffering for it. How would this affect New Zealand? If me, it's one thing to say we're not going to join something. It's another thing to pull out of something once you're in. Well, it affects us because we're on a, being dragged onto a war chariot and uh, it's got its own momentum. Uh, it'd be particularly ruinous. Well, of course, the worst of all is some type of nuclear exchange breaks out and then we really all have failed. But to get dragged into a, a confrontation, a war with China, uh, is ruinous and totally unnecessary. The Australians under their Conservative government, but it looks like the Australian Labour Party in this election is not saying too much different, has said we're actually throwing our lot in with the United States. Instead of a multipolar world, we're going for a unipolar world led by the United States. New Zealand should have more vision than that. The, the support for a non-nuclear policy was also support for an independent foreign policy. Look, this is not the Labour Party of Harry Holland. It was an anti-imperialist policy. He realised what the British imperialism was at the time. United States imperialism was a little less obvious because uh, it wasn't as yet the world power that it is today, but it was becoming that way. He set out a different path for New Zealand. We now have a Labour government which has joined up with imperialist powers and, and their plans. If they think that Russia is an imperialist power, okay, don't join up with either of them. But the big and strongest and heaviest military imperialist power in the world is the United States of America. And we've thrown in our lot with them. If we want an independent foreign policy, we have to pull back from that. All right. What role should the United Nations take in all this? Well, the United Nations, uh, the Secretary General of the UN has been visiting Russia and Ukraine and all the participating countries and pushing for negotiations. So I think that is positive and that should continue. And there should be a pressure on all countries, including Russia, not to fuel the conflict, but to come to some type of negotiated uh, settlement um, under the auspices of countries that have got some credibility in this. Uh, New Zealand hasn't got that credibility at the moment, but it could recover if it said, look, we've been following the wrong path and maybe be part of that. It's going to be very hard in the United Nations if New Zealand is a part of the belligerent parties. Countries like uh, India and Turkey, obviously, uh, have got more credibility on both sides. Uh, just, I just use those as examples. Even China has, because it hasn't gone full pelt in support for Russia in the, in, in the Ukraine, but it has said, we understand why they've done it. And there are a large range of other countries that have credibility, uh, and New Zealand could join with them. In the United Nations, they should take the, the lead. It has to be the General Assembly, because the Security Council... Um, you know, the Russians are isolated in the in the Security Council um, at the present time, at least for the five, uh, oh, three of the voting members, not China. Um, so uh, the General Assembly is the forum, the, in, the institutions, and particularly the role of the Secretary General in mobilising a coalition of countries to, to some extent, knock heads together and to get a settlement for the Ukrainian people, but one that respects the rights of every single Ukrainian. 
And of course, it has to take into account the security concerns of the of the Russian Federation. They have to be taken into account. And it's NATO that has to pull back and provide those guarantees that it's not going to keep expanding, it's not going to put nuclear weapons on the Russian border or so close to it uh, that it doesn't matter. What would be required of NATO at this point? I mean, it seems um, fairly clear that it would be very difficult. I mean, unlikely that NATO is going to um, reject the membership of Poland and the other Baltic countries that are already members. Well, yes, but they don't have to put, uh, they don't have to station nuclear weapons, which they're doing in Poland. Are they so close, close, close to Russia? You will remember, you and I are both old enough to remember the Cuba missile crisis. That was 90 miles, I think it was, was the, was the, the days before kilometers from, from America. And the, these missiles are closer than that. And faster. When are they? Look, I think the the obligation what I'm leading to here is for actually the countries in NATO to impose their own government's policies, um, particularly in Western Europe. And I think that will happen. I do not think that the overwhelming support of Western Europe, the so-called unity, is going to stay there. Uh, they're not people are not stupid. They know what their own governments do. They know their own policies, and they know their own warmongering. In Britain, uh, they've only allowed to continue this policy with NATO because the Labour Party there has played such a treacherous role. Starmer has stopped his MPs by threatening to draw the whip of criticising NATO at all. So it's a war for democracy, but they're not allowed to criticise NATO. But the pressure will build up because NATO has to be paid for. The warmongering has to be paid for. And so I think the pressure will come on in the NATO countries, even in the United States. Uh, the opposition to the war against Iraq showed you that. Um, the opposition to spending money, more and more money on the military as against the needs of the people of the United States. Canada is in the same thing. I mean, Canada plays an extremely warmongering role, both inside of Europe and NATO and in Latin America. It rides shotguns for the American uh, in Latin America. So five-sixths of the world is against what the United States and NATO are doing in the Ukraine and their strategy against Russia. And within the NATO countries, um, that pressure is building up. In Italy, workers refuse to load weapons for the Ukraine conflict. Uh, That type of resistance to NATO policies, I believe, will grow. The war hysteria against Russia will come to an end at some stage. I hope. What would be a fair ending as far as Ukraine's concerned. Go over the Minsk um, agreement again. I didn't understand the question. What would be fair as far as the Ukraine is concerned? A guarantee of their independence, of course. Uh, that they will continue to be an independent country. But I think it's gone so far with the, uh, the Donbass republics, I don't think they will trust being in the Ukraine. I think Ukraine will have to accept that they will be independent republics. And that um, that Russia will continue to control Marios, Mariupolsk and possibly Odessa, and that's a consequence of how far we've we've gone with this strategy, because the Russians are not going to accept that the Black Sea will become a sea where the United Kingdom, which has already sent warships in there to test the Russians and push them, and the United States 
as a as a base against them. Aren't uh, those cities a part of Ukraine, both historically and territorially? You, the independence Odessa? of Ukraine? Territorially? Yes, but I don't think that, that you know, the question of self-determination has to that, be part of the negotiations as to what can be accepted and what can be uh, given back or what might be a period of transition. I mean, it's possible, I would presume, I presume if there were actual guarantees of security for Russia and of, you know, NATO pulled its head in, which probably not going to, that um, uh, that there could be an acceptance of autonomous republics, a sort of federal arrangement within the Ukraine, but guarantee of Ukraine's territorial uh, integrity. But there would also have to be the guarantee for the Russians of their own integrity, their own territorial integrity and security. A lot of questions are more wiser heads than me, but the first step is negotiations in good faith. Now, do you see where should New Zealand foreign policy go from here? Say we no longer send military equipment or military intelligence to the Ukraine. And What's the next step? Well, well, I'm glad you brought that up because we're discussing the Ukraine and there are many things outside your control, my control, um, what's going to happen there, a whole lot of factors and and, and events that have occurred, uh, policies which have been launched, all a lot to unravel, an enormous lot to unravel. And whether there is goodwill on all sides is, is a moot point. But as far as New Zealand's uh, concerned, it's not too far, too late to pull back. But it needs courageous politicians to do so. And one place to start is the Five Eyes, which is part of the whole policy of controlling the will. I mean, Assange Snowden have pointed out, <coughs> not a body which gathers intelligence to protect New Zealanders. It's a body which is offensive, which is used in was used in um, Chile to bring down Allende which has been used all over the world to support you know, dictatorships and repressive governments and military policies. And uh, even in Vietnam, the Five Eyes, New Zealand's intelligence gathering was used to pinpoint B-52s uh, to kill Vietnamese. So we've in boots and all with the Five Eyes. It's uh, connected to all the European intelligence agencies in the intelligence world. It's called the Five Eyes plus Four Eyes. Uh, which is Norway and other countries, and then the 14 eyes, and then the 23 eyes, and then Israel is seen as one of the the eyes, and so forth. So we're we're linked in through the five eyes to an overall uh, set of foreign policies, which at the center of it is the United States and its foreign policy. So we have to come out of that, and we just have to develop our own uh, use of our own armed forces, and uh, own foreign policy. We won't be isolated in the world. We just won't be led by the nose by the United States as we used to be by the United Kingdom. Marvin, that takes a lot of courage, and I do not see that in the present government and certainly the incoming national government, which seems it's on track to be. It'll be worse. Our largest uh, neighbor, Australia, is certainly not going to agree to that. 
Well, unless there's cha- Australia too, it's like us. It needs a discussion. The the Labour Party is in the independence, but it's possible. But we don't have to do what they say either. We don't either want to be under the American thumb or the Australian thumb. Australia is heading in a dangerous direction, and of course, it's causing great concern inside Australia as well. And uh, if they get themselves into a war with China, well, do we want to be part of that? I don't think so. Well, I hope not. So what you're saying is we really need to reassess our foreign policy and and try to recover some independence in our foreign policy. Yes, and we've gone a long way from that. It's a, a complete sea shift from the government that I was in to 2022 with what we were aiming for even, and what we were... Even a couple of years to. ago, the um, Jacinda's government made noises about Five Eyes that apparently um, they've changed their... Well, there, there, there was there was concern. Nanaya Mahutu, back when the Five Eyes were just issuing press statements on behalf of all of them, because New Zealand at least was having a look at its relationship with China and say, thank you very much. We will have our own discussions with the Chinese government uh, on positions of any issues as they will with us. But since then... Uh, there's been an acceptance of the Indo-Pacific strategy. Kurt Campbell has met with um, all our members of our government, particularly Jacinda Ardern. They've given the thumbs up to the Indo-Pacific strategy of the United States, that they can contain China. Uh, they have not part of AUKUS, but there have been uh, suggestions that we will leverage off AUKUS, um, <laughs> etc. So, yes, and an acceptance that we'll stay in the five eyes. And by the way, not a word of support for Julian Assange, who's uh, exposed the crimes of these Five Eyes partners of ours. And that shows you also the cowardice in relation to issues of principle uh, in this world by the Labour government. It's extremely, it leaves New Zealand people without a critical voice, without a voice for Labour. It's called a Labour Party. It's not in the interests of Labour to line up with the greatest imperialist power in the world. It's just a road to war. What's the best chance of getting us to think about what kind of foreign policy we want? Well, first of all, it would be good to have a debate in the parliament, an informed debate. The debate on sanctions, the, the Russian sanctions bill, it wasn't sanctions on any other countries, on Russia, was not informed. It was a staged, it wasn't even a debate, it was a staged event. All the parties who were supposed to be on the left capitulated to it. Labour, the Greens, they they read from the same song sheet. But the uh, informed debate will be the first place to start with New Zealanders. And by the way, most of the New Zealand academic community has failed in this regard. Very very few of them have put themselves forward to demand that we looked at the issues and actually have an informed debate. And Parliament I've just said in the sanctions bill showed that they weren't prepared to do this. And we have just one narrative, Russia, evil, West, good. And that's where we're headed. Well, that's just nonsense in this world. And it's a recipe for ruin uh, for New Zealand. And we'll be back in the same situation as when we sent troops to Vietnam. Uh, And that, of course, was a fiasco and a disaster. I guess one of the problems is there really isn't a the left-wing party in Parliament or close to being represented in Parliament? Yes, we don't have a progressive, well, the Greens, I guess, were the closest. 
uh, to that, but they've failed on this uh, on this position. There's been some noises recently from their foreign affairs spokesperson, Gores, uh, about the war, which I, I thought was halfway sensible. But they need to push a total debate in Parliament and in the country about where we're headed. We've signed up to this new policy, this non-independent policy for New Zealand, without the slightest effort to have a public debate on where we should be. And that's not democracy. And I don't see any members of parliament who have, even if they were for the NATO position on the Ukraine, I haven't seen any calling for uh, alternative viewpoints, a thorough debate, looking at the material. That would be a good place to leave this. We need further debate. And thanks a lot for um, encouraging further debate, Matt. Pleased to be here. <laughs> this podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.